Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, January the 18th, 2023. It is currently 1.13 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Well, yesterday, with a debit card, right here, with this debit card, with this debit card, and an iPad, which is right here next to me, here's the iPad, with this debit card, this iPad, and then I tapped on the screen that said purchase with the debit card, an iPad, and one tap on the screen that said purchase Well, as soon as I tapped the purchase tab, well, a great adventure began. Does that does that feel inspiring? Does that feel epic? Does that feel like we we started a great, amazing, epic journey? Okay, okay, maybe maybe that maybe that's a little over the top. But yesterday, with that debit card, with that iPad, with that tap on the purchase tab, we entered into the world of how pastors buy their sermons. How do pastors buy sermons? That's the world we entered into because we entered into the murky, questionable, is it right? Is it wrong? Is it sinful? Is it is it not sinful? Is it a matter of personal liberty? Is it a matter of, of people being able to do what they want? Like, like, how do we view the world of pastors buying their sermons? Because there's an entire industry out there where pastors can subscribe to a, a monthly a monthly subscription where sermons are sent to their e- email inbox where they can download all the promotional material where they can where the the company will do all the research for them create the outline for them do the book overview for for them and and this has been talked about no question about it it has been talked about but i still think that for the most part the average person sitting in the pew I, th- I, I this is my own personal feelings. I don't think the average person in the pew really cares. I, I think the average person sitting in the pew goes, I don't care where he got the sermon from. I don't care what he used. I don't care if it's his, not his. As long as I like the sermon, as long as it benefited me, as long as it was biblically correct, that's all that matters. And, and that raises lots of, of questions, but I, I still believe most people don't care, but I still felt it necessary for us to enter into this world and investigate it. So yesterday we spent almost an hour looking at nine pages, nine pages of what, what was it called? Let me, let me pull up. Let me go to the uh, website here. Now, remember we purchased the sermon series or what they call a sermon series kit. That's the correct technical name called live ready, remaining faithful in difficult times It's a four-week series. 
So yesterday we downloaded it. I went to the view download section. Remember, we purchased this from sermoncentral.com. Sermoncentral.com. We paid $50 for this experiment. We paid $50. I'm almost regretting that I spent that $50. I could have used $50 to get myself something, okay? But I really wanted everyone, because I know the average person, you're not going to pay $50, right? You're not going to pay $50 to see what this is all about. Now, we could have spent $249 for a year-long subscription so that we could have just been reviewing... (laughs) the latest sermon series kits as they came out each month, but I didn't have 200. I I didn't even really have $50 to spend, but 249, I wasn't willing to invest that much money for this experiment, but I, I am glad, like, I'm glad we're doing this, but there's another part of me that regrets that I have to do this because I, I would rather do something else, but, but not, no matter how we ended up here, we are investigating the world of where, well, can we call it sermon selling, sermon buying, how the sermon has become an industry in and of itself, how sermons have become a business. Now, I, if you know anything about me, I've been complaining about this for literally most of my Christian life because it, it, I've been preaching, teaching most of my Christian life and going all the way back to the 1990s, I was making cassettes and sending them out for free to anyone and everyone who would ask for them. That was the late 1990s when we were doing that. Um, Someone bought me a tape duplicator, so I would record one tape and then duplicate them. We printed out labels and we just sent them to anyone and everyone. We put an ad in different publications. I think the Sword of the Lord was one, numerous others. And and we were spending crazy amounts of money trying to send these tapes out. We didn't charge a dime. Then when I, uh, here in the Abilene, Texas area, we went to local Christian bookstores. We placed, we asked permission on the counter if we could put a fishbowl with sermon uh, with cassette tapes in them, right? That were for free. Anybody could take them. And it was basically free sermons. People would just reach in, grab the cassette and could listen to the sermons. Um, once again, free. And then one uh, very early on, I mean, I don't know how long sermon audio had been around, but I think it was relatively new. Then we were like, well, let's get our sermons on there. Once again, free. Uh, and then we were on Christian radio. Once again, free. We didn't, we never charged anyone. We didn't do anything. So, uh, but then I knew it became very obvious very soon, especially as the internet began to grow, that pastors and churches were placing sermons online, and many times they were charging people for those sermons per download. So I was I was opposed to that turning sermons into an industry. And then you know how I feel about the conference circuit, right? Where these big name pastors have these conferences that people pay a hundred, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred dollars to get into to hear the preaching of God's word. To me, that is absolutely mind boggling that Christians don't even have a problem with that. Oh, I'm going to this conference. How much did it cost? Two hundred dollars, but I get to hear these preachers. You're paying two hundred dollars to have someone preach the word of God to you. I'm sorry. I've got some issues, right? So I've I've so I've been consistent in my complaining about the industry of basically preaching. Well, I'm also just as bothered that there's an entire industry out there that says, hey, pastor, we'll write the sermon for you. We'll do it. We'll give you your illustration, your introduction, your conclusion, your points, your outline, the very words you can say. We'll do everything for you. And and that there's entire 
an industry, again, built around it, and many pastors use it. So I've, I've had some serious problems with this. So that's why, to me, this is just another part, another part of the sermon industry. But yesterday, as I said, we wanted to in- investigate this. So I spent $50. We bought the sermon series kit for Live Ready, How to Remain Faithful in Difficult Times. I'm paraphrasing. And we went to the website. I immediately hit download. And the first thing they gave me was the planning guide. The planning guide. And we didn't read every single word of the planning guide. I'm opening it up right now. We didn't live every we didn't read every single word. I'm still debating if it's legal for me to attach the planning guide PDF to this, like to this episode so that people on the Sermons 2.0 or the Church One app could look at the PDF for itself. But others who listen to that broadcast basically says they're not really selling a sermon. If you could look at this nine-page planning guide, they're really basically are selling you a marketing strategy. Hey, here's how to market the series. Here's how to strategize. Here's how to get the most out of this series. And when they say get the most out of this series, It's not so much about the spiritual edification and building up of the people in front of them. It's how to best utilize the sermon series to get people who are not in the church to come to your church and then how to transition them from a visitor to a member. So really, the, the sermon series is just a marketing strategy to get people to the church. And and I'm going to stand by that. If you look at this nine-page planning guide and how they want you to strategically use the sermon series, this is not a nine-page planning guide on how to make sure the people in your church get the most out of it. Oh, there's a little bit of that thrown in. But the overall emphasis to me is you've got to strategize. You've got to advertise. You've got to market. You've got to do this so that you can fill up the, uh, the, the church. You can get the people there. So preaching is just simply a tool utilized to get people to come to the church, join the church, support the church financially so the church will grow. So that you get numerical growth, you get financial growth, and then the pastor can feel like he's basically a successful CEO who properly utilizes marketing strategy to grow his, dare I say, business instead of church. I I mean, I look, you may disagree with that, but you, I mean, I went through most of the, the planning guide yesterday. So I think it would be impossible to disagree with this, the facts that I have right here in front of me. It's a marketing strategy where the preaching of God's word is simply a tool to get people into the church. And so you've got to properly strategically utilize it and market it. And and I just, it's to me, it destroys what the church is supposed to be about. I, I just feel like it destroys what the church is supposed to be about. But we went through the, the, the guide, the planning guide. Now, I didn't read every single word. I didn't go through all, all of it because I had to make a, an editorial decision. Do I spend two hours reading to you every step of the planning guide? I I felt like at some point that was going to become tedious and not very useful for you. You got the idea yesterday. If, and I stress this, 
if I, if I can, I, cause it's just the planning guide. I don't think there's anything in this planning guide that I think, I don't think it's protected by some kind of copyright. Maybe it is. I mean, I purchased, paid $50 for it. There's a part of me that wants to publish this. I want to, I want to attach this to the Sermons 2.0 or the Church Warrant app where this message is and underneath this message would, because I want you to see the planning guide for yourself. And then you can draw your, because they, because I, I'm offering my interpretation of it. You may look at it and go, no, this is just brilliant. This is the way it's supposed to be done. I just think it, it turns the preaching of God's word into a, a marketing platform. And I, and I, and I, ooh, I have some issues with that. So that's what we did yesterday. Now, someone emailed me and asked me a lot of interesting questions about kind of the legalese of this. Like, what can you do with these sermon series? What can you not do? What's protected? What's not protected? So uh, at some point, we will look at that probably at, at getting closer to the end of this series. I, I've got their plagiarism policy, which is, <laughs> you, you'll have to wait. You'll, you'll love that episode. Um, and, I, and we'll look at the frequently asked questions section of uh, sermoncentral.net and see, and see if we can get into some of those legalese but I, I, I stated yesterday that what we would do today is we would move from the planning guide to the week one sermon. So I'm clicking on the week one sermon right now. I'm going to hit view. And here we go. So here's what we're going to So a couple of things. I know I'm, I'm giving kind of a, just a, a kind of some background, just some thoughts, some feelings, just trying to kind of process everything we heard in episode one. I will say this, someone late last night uh, found two sermons from uh, different churches who it appeared had purchased this series and was utilizing this sermon series. Now, there's a couple of things we discovered. When I received the email to purchase this sermon series, they classified it as brand new. Here's the brand new sermon series. Get it now. It's not brand new, right? We, we have found two sermons that go back multiple years ago, right? Like two years ago, maybe three years ago. And here's what I found interesting. I listened to both of those sermons and they didn't really seem to follow much of what I have here. So either they just purchased the sermon series kit, they did use the same videos, they did use the same graphics, so I don't know if they just purchased it for the graphics, for the video, and then they decided to do the sermon on the, uh, their own, or if the older kit had different sermons than the newer kit. I, I cannot be dogmatic about that. But we're going to continue to look for churches who utilize this sermon series, and we're, and we're determining if they purchased the kit when they're using the exact same promotional video or the opening sermon video, because all of these things have these these videos attached that you're supposed to show in the church. So far, the ones that we did find are clearly using the same video and they're using the same graphics. So clearly they purchased it. They just, they may have decided to do their own sermons or to kind of base it off this. I don't know. I I haven't had enough time to continue to investigate that, but we're going to continue to look for churches. The problem is some of those churches that did use the content, the one church that we found Every sermon series had been purchased. I could just go through it, and I'm like, I've seen that one. I've seen, they, they were clearly, bought, that, that church 
its practice was buying sermon series kits. There's no question about it because every single one of those I, I've seen being sold. So they clearly, that's what how that church is built. Now, what they're doing with the sermons, I'm not yet able to determine. But what makes it frustrating is many of those churches that we found, they did not in any way, shape, or form make it easy so that you could download their sermons. They were either in some kind of format that I couldn't download the sermon, so there was no way to get the audio. It was really frustrating. But somewhere out there, we'll find a church who purchased one of these sermon kits, preached it, and their sermons are easily accessible so that we can download, and then we will review them to, one, see how close they stayed with what they purchased, how much they deviated from it, and what was the ultimate value in purchasing it. That is what we will try to determine. So we have a lot of things we want to accomplish in this series. It's it's still not, it's not the series that I'm the most passionate about because I just feel like of all the things we have to deal with, we have to deal with now the fact that pastors have to buy their sermons. But, but well, I won't go into all my feelings about this as of right now, but are you ready? Here we go. In this episode, I know we've spent 17 minutes, but that's okay. All, all of those things needed to be said because after you finish one episode, the next episode, you really have to kind of process and kind of analyze all the things that we've talked about. But here we go. We're going to look at sermon number one. I don't know how far we're going to get. We're just going to kind of walk through this asking theological questions, hermeneutical questions, practical questions, like about what would this sermon actually, like paying $50, is it this worth $50? Like there's a lot here that we we're going to try to figure out. But this is when I clicked on download week one sermon. Here is what I found. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to literally just walk through this as it is on the paper. I'll try to make sure I make it very clear when I'm reading something from this PDF file that I paid $50 for and when I'm offering my own thoughts, perspectives, analysis, and interpretation. Are you ready? It begins. There's no, there's no artwork on this. There's no real major heading. It just starts with live ready, all bold, all caps, live ready. And then right underneath that, it says week one, ready your soul. Ready your soul. Now, we've already covered this in kind of our, the first time we started talking about this. So some of this will be repetitive, but that's okay. Here we go. Right underneath that week one, live or ready your soul. It says the big idea, the most important aspect of being ready is having a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We do not know when he will return, but one day he will. We must all take an honest assessment of our hearts and lives and ask ourselves if we have placed our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus and the saving work he did on the cross. Once we make this decision, we don't have to be afraid of anything that might come our way. So the big idea, if I was to paraphrase it, is, hey, there's bad things that happen in life. There's crazy things. There's lots of, of difficult times. But if you, if you have trusted in Jesus, if you know you've trusted in Jesus, I'll use their language because clearly this is coming from a certain theological perspective. 
if you have made your decision for Jesus, so you have decisionism here thrown in, so you clearly have a little bit of that. You've, if you've made your decision for Jesus, then you don't have to fear anything. Now, of course, they're not there at this point to explain, what do you mean I don't have to be afraid of anything? So you're saying as a Christian, I don't have to be afraid of, or you mean I don't have to be afraid of the ultimate negative consequences of anything because as a Christian, I can still be murdered, mugged, shot, disease, fire, famine, her earthquake, her, you know, hurricane, tornado, blizzard, you know, flood, whatever. So I, I, I think I, I, they, would, they would have to explain what they mean. I think I know what they mean, but they would have to say so. So that's kind of the big idea. So in other words, if you purchase this sermon, you were like, okay, what I'm going to do for sermon number one is my job is to preach a sermon where I show the people that if they trust in Jesus, they have no reason to ever be afraid again but they got to make sure that they've made a decision for Jesus. That seems to be what they want me to accomplish with big idea number one. Now, I do find it interesting, just from a hermeneutical perspective, did they derive this idea from a text or are they giving you the big idea that you're supposed to impose on the text? I want you to hear that carefully, okay? This is very important. This is important from preaching, but I think it's important for those who listen to sermons. When you listen to a sermon, I think it's always important to try to determine what the major thesis is, or if you want to refer to it as the big idea. What is the main idea? What is the big idea? What is the main point? What is the thesis of this sermon? Now, once you determine what the thesis of the sermon is, then this is just a good question to ask any sermon you listen to, all right? Did this thesis, did the main idea of this sermon arise from the text? Or did the pastor have the idea and impose it on the text? Now, I think sometimes people sitting in the pew are manipulated into thinking that the idea came from the text when it's clear sometimes in the preaching, oh no, he had the idea and this is the text he found that he felt supports the idea. Because the difference is this, the difference is we're going to be studying this text and then you, you demonstrate through careful analysis and exegesis and work of the text that here comes the idea. Right? You, you can tell in the preaching that, hey, we're, we're taking this text apart. Here's the idea we end up with. But there's other times you can clearly tell that the, the goal is to preach the idea, but I just have to find some scriptures that I think support the idea. You should be able to tell the difference between that. Oh, no, 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 no. The, the, that, that idea came from the text. Oh, no, 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 no. That idea was imposed on the text. So I think it's interesting that they're starting here, at least in, in the PDF. I got to open up my iPad again. It timed out. That they start with a big idea. I'm not saying that that 100% proves that they are imposing this idea on the text, but it raises the red flag to me to be on the lookout for it. So their big idea is, hey, 
You got to make sure you believe in Jesus, because if you don't believe in Jesus, when all the bad things come, you're going to be afraid and you're not going to be able to be, you're not going to be ready for the difficult times. But if you believe in Jesus, you can be ready for difficult times because you have nothing to be afraid of, right? That's the big idea. Now, that was whoever wrote this sermon series, were they like, you know, sitting at home one day studying their Bible and all of a sudden they were like, ooh. Ooh, 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 ooh. look at this, look at this idea. Or did they have an idea and then try to find some scriptures to support it? Those are big, I, I want you to get that down. When you listen to a sermon, it's the main thesis, is the main idea. Did it arise from the text or was it imposed upon the text? That's very, very important. For example, this morning for the Today's Focus broadcast, Right? Hey, someone was on Isaiah 62 and what they what their big idea was, how does God view you? How does God see you? How does God understand you? That was really the main thesis that they were emphasizing at the beginning. Clearly that that, that did not come from Isaiah 62. They imposed that on Isaiah 62 because Isaiah 62 wasn't about me, wasn't about how God views me. It was about how God viewed well a specific people. Somehow this people was associated with Zion, Jerusalem, and land. I think it's a pretty good indication it was referring to Israel. So that was where the idea was being imposed on the text, not derived from the text, because anything derived from the text would not have led that pastor to you or to me or to us. This, uh, look, if you don't get anything else, I, I want to make sure you get something practical from this investigation into the sermon selling industry. But here's what happens when you're just buying sermons. And this is even true when, when a pastor comes up with a sermon based off, you know, I don't really know what to do. I don't, and, and just by looking at a commentary or listening to another sermon, the pastor has to be the one. This is the pastor's job. If I'm like, okay, like right over here, I have, I have uh, the uh, imitation of Christ. Uh, by uh, Thomas, um, I always forget his name. Um, the Imitation of Christ. What, uh, how come I'm forgetting his name? How come I'm forgetting his name? I don't have the cover because my book fell completely apart. Um, why am I forgetting his name? Why am I? For- Thomas Akempis. Yeah, Thomas Akempis. There I go. Because I, I, I've had too many names in my. If I if I'm reading the Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. We do really need to get back to finishing this book, okay? But uh, it's still it's it's always sitting here right next to the microphone. But if I'm reading of the Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, and I'm like, whoa, that's a good idea, right? Now, what I need to do is realize, okay, I can go find some scriptures to support this idea, right? To support this idea. But I think in my preaching, somehow I need to indicate to the people, look, today I want to talk about this idea. And I am going to be referencing some scriptures that I feel support it. But I want them to know that I'm preaching the idea, not the text. But what we have a tendency to do is try to convince the people that I'm preaching the text. So like when people leave the church, I want them to say, what, what, what did you learn in church today? Well, the pastor wanted us to understand this idea and he offered some scriptures that he felt supported the idea. I don't want them to leave going, well, he preached Matthew 24. No, 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 no. I didn't preach Matthew 24. I preached an idea, 
right? Now, if I'm preaching Matthew 24, then I want to exegete, struggle with Matthew 24, and then see what idea arises from it. I know you may be thinking you're spending a lot of time on this because it's very important to me. When you when you get when a pastor gets the sermon from something else, it's easy for him to convince himself that he's preaching a specific text when in reality he's just preaching an idea. And when you're buying the sermon, they're, they're giving you the idea. This is the idea we want you to preach. Now, underneath that, they give us a prayer, right? So they give us the big idea. Remember, the big idea is that the most important aspect of being ready is to having a saving relationship with Jesus. We don't know when he's going to return, but one day he will. We must all take an honest assessment of our hearts, lives, and ask ourselves if we placed our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus and saving work that he did on the cross. Once we make this decision, there's decisionism, we don't have to be afraid of anything that might come our way. That's the idea. Then underneath that, we have this prayer. Lord, help us to live vigilant and ready lives as we continually fulfill Okay, hang on. (laughs) Let me read that correctly. Lord, help us to live vigilant and ready lives as we commit fully to you and your ways. Let us prosper through highs and lows of life as you faithfully lead us. Now, we we can talk about the prayer, but there's the prayer. And then immediately after that, immediately after that, we get the scriptures. Now, you remember the idea. Hey, if we believe in Jesus, we don't have anything to be afraid. If you make your decision for Jesus, you have nothing to be afraid of, no matter how difficult life gets. Now, here are the scriptures. Now, I want you to ask yourself, is the idea being opposed on the text or is the idea coming from the text? Let's go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Now, immediately, I'm already nervous, right? Because, because well, we'll see. Well, we'll just look at the text because there's a lot we need to consider when it comes to Matthew 24, but that's okay. Matthew 24, they want us to look at verse 42 and 44. Now, I want you to just notice something. If you have your Bible and if you have the red, red letter edition, if you'll note Matthew 24, starting, Jesus starts talking in verse four. He doesn't stop talking until the end of 25. So for two chapters, Jesus just keeps talking. So immediately we're jumping in to the minute that I see that the text is Matthew 24, 42 through 44, I'm already getting nervous because you're just jumping into the middle of a long section of dialogue. And we're just jumping in. Now, what I want you to do (laughs) is I want you to talk for 15 minutes, right? 15 minutes, just record yourself talking and then ask yourself if someone was to jump into the middle of that 15 minutes of you talking and took just a couple of things out, would they understand the totality of what you were saying, right? That's always the problem here, remember, because they're giving us the idea. So clearly they just are going to a scripture that they think supports the idea. But here's the first one, Matthew 24, 42 through 44. All right, watch therefore, For you know not what hour your Lord doth come, but know this, that if the goodman of the house had known and what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would have, would have, would not have suffered the house to be broken up. 
Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Now, the big idea is be ready, or the, the big idea is, hey, the only way to be ready is to make sure you're saved, because if you're saved, you have nothing to be afraid of. So is this the idea? Are they are they taking this idea from this concept? This this concept, is this referring to the second coming of Jesus? Is it referring to 70 AD? Like, what, what, what's going on here? I, does, do you think it supports the idea? I guess it supports the idea in some ways. Watch therefore, for you know not no you know ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Trying to read the King James there. Okay. So I think it at least carry it, it supports the idea in some level that, hey, the most important aspect of being ready is to, I guess, to understand that we don't know when Jesus is going to come back. But know this that if the good men of the house had known and and what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour you think not the Son of Man cometh. So I guess the, the text seems to be focusing on being ready by looking for the coming of Christ. This seems to say be ready by making sure you're saved. I don't know if the I don't know if this text gives that idea. I think they may be imposing the idea on the text. I don't know. Let's go to the next one. The next one is John 16, 33. John 16, 33. These things I've spoken unto you that you might have peace. In, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Does, does that support the big idea? Or is the big idea being imposed on these texts? Next is Acts 1, 8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Is that about us? Or is that about the specific promise to the disciples about what was going to happen on the day of Pentecost? Then Joshua 1.8. Joshua 1.8. Joshua 1.8, where we read, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. I have no idea what that has to do with the big idea that they gave us. I'm starting to get the feeling that the big idea is being imposed on these texts of Scripture. And then last but not least, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So I guess they, they try to use this to go back to the salvation aspect that they emphasized at the beginning in the big idea. But those are the Scriptures. Okay? I, I, I think the big idea is being imposed on it. I, I, that's my feeling, all right? Then they do this. Introduction. All right, here's the introduction. I'm supposed to say, now again, they, they say they, they do admit that these sermons are editable, right? That you can edit them for your own purpose. But let's, let's see what they say. And it's just funny that they literally give you the introduction. But here we go. Good morning, once again, friends. I'm thankful you decided to join us either in person or online today as we begin a brand new sermon series. 
I think one of the sermons I listened to came very close to saying something very similar to that, but okay. Over the next four weeks, we'll be talking about how to live ready. We all know life can throw some pretty wicked curveballs our way. Not to mention, we live in the midst of constant change. This constant change can cause us to question God, be confused in our faith, or have doubts. Now, this is not saying that, th- that these scriptures would have already been read at this point, because they may not have, the person may not have even read the scriptures. They may just get, maybe they kind of threw, because I'm assuming the way most pastors structure it, because you do basically let your talk, talk and speech, in your introduction, you let everyone know what you're going to talk about. Then you talk about it. Then in your conclusion, you kind of remind everyone of what you just talked about. All right. So, so I'm assuming that their introduction, we kind of give the big idea. Maybe they would make a reference to scripture. Then they would give this introduction. And the in- introduction basically is, hey, we live in a life that's, that's crazy. And we're going to be talking about how to live ready in the midst of that life because the constant changes can cause us to question God be confused in our faith, or have doubts. And then you're supposed to ask this question. Have you ever struggled with doubts about faith? Well, I, I, this is, now this is very relevant because I think a lot of people do struggle with questions about faith. Now the question is, my question is, is this sermon series designed to really answer these questions? Are you even going to come close to even really entertaining the questions? We will see. Now, immediately, they give this illustration. I want to introduce you to a guy named John Wesley, who lived in England from 1703 to 1791. He was the 15th of 19 kids, and his mom homeschooled them all. His father was a pastor in the Anglican church, and John himself became a pastor in that same church. Early on as a minister, Wesley struggled with doubts about his faith. He shared this with his good friend who was, uh, say, I don't think his good friend was a pastor. He offered, he offered uh, this advice to a good friend, all right? We'll call the good friend Peter. We won't go through the last name, but Peter, all right? And, and Peter gave him some good advice. Preach faith until you have it, and then because you have it, you will preach faith. Basically, fake it, Till you make it. What in the world? All right. So what you're supposed to do as a pastor is preach faith until you get it. And then once you get it, preach faith. So basically, this is literally in the the sermon that I paid $50 for. Fake it till you make it. Okay, I got to stop here for a second. I got to stop here for a second. I paid $50 for a sermon series that starts off with this. Hey, hey, life is hard. Do you struggle with your faith? Well, let's remember the great advice that John Wesley's friend Peter gave him, which is basically fake it until you make it. Yeah, even if you don't have faith, you preach faith until you get the faith. And then once you get the faith, you preach the faith. So fake it until you get. Why wouldn't the advice will be, Well, stand in that pulpit and tell everyone your doubts. Tell everyone your struggles. Tell everyone your concerns. Tell everyone you're you're on the brink of giving up. Oh, I'm sorry. You're not supposed to do that. 
But but you know why I think you should do that? Because the people in the pew are just like you, and you're all struggling with faith and all struggling with doubts and questions. But I guess nobody's supposed to be honest about that. Can you believe that this literally was there? I, I Okay. Maybe I'm looking for someone to go, wait, what did it just say? But okay, all right, here we go. Wesley took that advice and soon after led someone to the Lord by preaching faith alone in Christ. This person gladly accepted the message and his life changed immediately. <laughs> okay, we won't get into all the, some of the theological implications of all of this, but okay. Wesley was surprised at the guy's sudden life change because Wesley himself hadn't experienced similar changes. Soon after... On May the 24th, 1738, at 8.45 p.m., Wesley was at a meeting of believers. And as he was listening to someone read Martin Luther's preface to the epistle to Romans, Wesley says, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. There were so many questions I have about this. God unexpectedly showed up at that moment. Wesley felt his heart strangely warmed and discovered he did have faith. God can, (laughs) he discovered he did have faith. Oh, there's so many theological implications of this. All right, so let's stop with this really quick before we move on. Here's what we, now this is interesting. And someone raised this question. And I said I would deal with this closer to the end, but I think it's an appropriate time. If you look at sermoncentral.net, right, where I paid $50 for this sermon, you can, I don't know if you can find a statement of faith, or at least I wasn't able to find one. In other words, I don't know if they even tell you what the theological leaning or the theological bent is in these sermons. I don't think they tell you. I think these are supposed to be somehow seen as theologically neutral, and they can be preached by person in any kind of church, non-denominational, any kind of church. But let's make it very clear, you can't hide your theological bent, right? This is clearly not coming from a Reformed perspective, obviously. It's almost viewed as faith is something that you have, something that you just do, not something that God gives you, right? That God gives us saving faith. We don't just you know, make that faith rise up inside of us. So clearly it has a theological bent. So I, I, I think that that, you know, it looks like if you're going to purchase a sermon, that the website would say, you're about to purchase a sermon that is more in line with this theological perspective. But they obviously don't do that because, you know, does theology even matter? But yeah, I mean, he discovered he had faith. God, God gives you the faith. Now, maybe maybe they're, they're wording it in such a way to imply that, oh, now he realizes God gave him faith, but it, it seems more like, oh, no, see, the faith was inside of me the whole time or because I've been faking it until I, I could make it concept. Um, it goes on to say, God can show up in any situation at any moment and change a life, often when we least expect him. With Wesley, the rest is history. His life did change. He went on to start the Methodist movement in both England and the United States. When he died at the age 88, he had left behind 130,000 people who gave their lives to Christ. He had hundreds of hundreds of dollars passed through his hands. He, uh, ch- uh, he channeled to the poor, to widows, to the, hu- to, to the hungry, and more and to more. 
He died nearly broke with only a few coins uh, on his pocket because he, he distributed he distributed so much wealth to those in need, keeping a bare minimum for himself. All right. All right. I think I think we're back. I was just getting ready to stop everything. I don't know how how long the silence was. All right. Are we back? Okay, we're back to no, something weird just happened. But at least uh it wasn't it was not weird like the old weird where it's only stopping on one service. It stopped on both platforms. All right. I I don't I don't know how to proceed here, okay? Oh, we were making some very good points about how to understand whether something is being imposed on the text versus arising from the text. All right, what we'll do, what we will do is we will stop right here. Um, what I will say, what I will say is this. I don't know if I'll be able to edit any of this and put this all together so that this will be uh beneficial. I apologize for the technical issues that we just experienced. Uh, okay. Uh, someone says, I, I, I take back my filtering comments. The filtering seems to work for a general search, but I, I, I can't get it to uh, be there when looking at the series or, but I can, I think they said, I, I mean, they mean to say, I can't get it to be there when looking at the series. So maybe the filtering system doesn't work as, as well as we thought. The bottom line is it's hard to really know what you're purchasing, but clearly there's a theology found within the sermons that I bought. When I, when I bought this sermon, it doesn't tell me which theological system I'm buying, but clearly it has a theological system in it. So there, in other words, you can't hide your theology. Sooner or later, your theology is going to be there. So you can try to come across as like, we're here to serve everyone, but your messages are going to have a theology in them. They're going to have it. But the reason you can get away with a lot of this is I don't think the average person even would catch the theological influence, right? I can catch the theological influence all over this. It's all over the place, right? So, I mean, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on there. But clearly, here's my main issue with it right now. And hopefully, uh, all of our disconnecting and all of the things that just happened, we can we can put this all back together. But here is, and, and we'll stop right here just because I don't want to, I want to hopefully try to save this because I don't want to delete this. And I do apologize for all the technical issues. But when you're live on the air, sometimes things go are beyond my control. Now, this is clearly, I don't know what just happened, beyond my control. But here we go. We're, we're, we're going to try to bring this together. At this point in this sermon that we paid basically $50 for, here's what's confusing. If you go from the big idea to the text of scripture that we read, to the introduction, to the opening illustration by John Wesley, to now the transition, kind of the transitioning phrase from the opening from the opening introduction to the main teaching, which is this. Through this series, we're going to talk about how God can show up in any situation at any moment, and we must learn to live ready through the highs and lows of life. If you put all of this together, I'm not seeing a, I don't see how the scriptures really relate to this. I don't even realize, I don't even really realize or really understand or recognize how some of this even fits with the, the big idea set at the beginning. It's very disjointed. 
right? Now, maybe once they get into the main teaching, it will become more organized. But what's the if the is the emphasis basically? You know, John Wesley thought, you know, he was a preacher, but he didn't have faith is the is the idea that if you have faith then your life will change and everything will be better is the concept that, hey, you got to make sure you have faith because you may not have faith. But if you don't have faith, fake it until you get faith. Like, I don't really know exactly is the emphasis for the unbelievers, the emphasis for the believer. It's really all over the place right now. Maybe it will clean itself up. But right now, what I can clearly see is that this is designed at this point that the idea is being imposed onto the text. The text is simply secondary. It's the idea. So I, again, I want you to learn this principle in preaching. Is the main, what, figure out what the main idea of the sermon is. Figure out what the main point is. Is the main point being imposed on the text? Or did the idea arise from the text? And, and, and I think you have to learn to catch on to this. Because if it's because sometimes the idea being opposed on the text, it's not in the text. It's not really there. But you've got to really think it through to, to catch that, to see that. Because if it has similar sounding words or similar sounding phrases, you can be like, well, see, it's there. See? No, no, no. Look at the text. Exegete the text. Read the text in context. We, we've already seen an example of this this morning for the Today's Focus broadcast. That the main idea of that sermon is for us to understand how God sees us. But Isaiah 62 is not about how God sees us. That's an idea being imposed on the text. So that's the big takeaway in this is that $50, we're being given an idea. The idea is being imposed on the text. He, that pastors may, if, who preach these sermons may preach it. The people in the pew may go, oh, oh, we learned from the text how to be ready and, and whatever, however they verbal, verbalize it. But, in, but, but they, they may tell people we learned Matthew 24 or whatever the text is, but re reality is you didn't learn Matthew 24. You were given an idea and they put it in the text. It may not actually be there. You can preach on so many things, right? And you can, and you can even convict people that that they're doing something sinful, but the reality is it's not where where is it? Is it actually in the text? Is it actually there? Can you actually find it? Or did they just impose something on onto you? All right. Okay. Well, we started with the epic theme music. <laughs> we have to end this with not the epic theme music because that was that was sad that we had that massive technology interruption. Uh, the world of technology interrupted us and uh, technological, that's what I was going to say, interruption. I, I hope it didn't mess everything up because I really want to emphasize, what I want you to get from this episode is this idea of Idea imposed on the text versus an idea arising from the text. You've got to learn as a listener to sermons how to detect when, which one is happening at any given time. Look, there's plenty of times I'll come to the church and just say, hey, here's the idea I'm thinking about. We're going to talk about this idea tonight and not even try to pretend that I got it, that it's in a text. I'm just like, here's the idea. 
And some pastors are like, you can't do that. You've got to preach the text. But you don't pretend to be preaching the text when, in real, uh, when the reality is you're preaching an idea that you're imposing onto the text. All right. We'll come back to Sermon 1 the next time, and we'll clean this up. I'm going to see if I can edit this in any way, shape, or form or clean any of this up because I do not know what happened uh, to the internet. It was weird. Um, I mean, we, we lost internet everywhere. Everything went down, but uh, it came right back up. So I'm going to verify everything is good. If you were listening, please let me know how bad the interruption was. You can uh, let me know in the Discord channel. Or you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, because I have to determine now. I got to try to figure out where the problem started, how bad it was, and then um, if I need to edit this or if I need to clean this up so this will still be valuable, right? I just don't want to throw away 55 minutes of, of talking about this because I would have to do all of this again. If I need to, I will, but there you go. If you were listening on the Sermons uh, 2.0 app or the Church One app, you had the longest outage. You lost uh, audio way earlier than the other platforms, but when I if I do upload this, hopefully everything that you missed will be there. And then we will, and I'll try to edit out any of the dead air and try to clean this up as much as possible. All right. I do apologize for the technological issues beyond my control. Have no clue what happened. Um, but there you go. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening to part two as we continue to investigate the world in which people buy their sermons and, uh, we kind of got a taste of this first one that we paid $50 for. Oh, I mean, we paid $50 for four, but we paid. So do, however you want to break it down, we paid money for this. And uh, it, to me, they're imposing an idea upon the text. They're not deriving the idea from the text. That's my feeling as of right now. We may change my, you, my view may change in part three, but we will see. So in the meantime, thanks for listening. And uh, well, everyone have a great day. God bless.